Joined today by Grinding the A, journalist with the journal.ie and political journalist Lee's Hand. Uh, Lee, starting with yourself, initial thoughts just before the break of, of what you've read and what you hear this morning? Well, first of all, uh, first of all, Gavin, you know, it's always amuses me to hear that the, the extraordinary transformation that uh, that comes over backbenchers who suddenly find themselves off the opposition and into government. It's almost like, you know, Harry Potter's cloak of invisibility. You know, <laughs> one minute there's something there, one thing and one minute there's something else. And, you know, Barry Cowan, who would be known to be a bullish fit of faller. I mean, we hear him this morning talking very much about consensus building, very much about you know supporting the programme. Yeah, there were, there were more budget quotes college. I could have read from. I have another one here in front of me. <laughs> the Fine Gael record of fiscal management is clear. Massive overspends, missed deadlines and an over-reliance on unsustainable tax receipts. Fine Gael is approaching the national finances with a recklessness that makes Donald Trump's phone calls look reasonable. That's what he had to say about Fine Gael in the Dáil last October. Well, you see, this is the thing. And we saw Alan Kelly, the Labour leader, uh, yesterday remind uh, the, the, the leaders of Fine Gael and Fine Gael of some of the more choice barbs that had been you know, put, sent across over the years. And I think we do have a bit of a Jason Byrne, Matt Damon or Bobby Ewing in the shower scenario mm-hmm. where I think they'd all rather you know, prefer the last four years were just a dream um, and they can sort of start on a new page. It's, uh, you know, it was an extraordinary day yesterday, Gavin. I mean, it really was. And, you know, it was a shame in a way that, you know, which was, you know, in the terms of the sort of history of the state, a massive day, you know, did take place in the somewhat sterile surrounds of the Dublin Convention mm. Centre rather than the kind of the gorgeous sort of splendour and historic, you know, chamber, dull chamber. But, you know, that's where we are. Um, and again, you know, just to sort of see the cabinet names emerge was quite fascinating. I mean, this is always... There's always drama surrounding this, and this was always going to be, you know, a tricky proposition for the for the two party leaders. Eamon Ryan had an easier time of it, to be fair, um, because they really were working with in such no other Taoiseach has ever come in with such constraints on picking his team, mm. and you know, obviously there's huge questions swirling around geography, and also around gender this morning. A lot of debate going on on that. Uh, I mean, I to be slightly controversial, perhaps, you know, I would argue, I think that the gender balance in the cabinet is actually possibly should be more important than the geographic spread, though it, it isn't and it isn't perceived to be such. And I think that perhaps we will see uh, in the fullness of time on Tuesday uh, quite a sprinkling of, of ministers for state down along the western seaboard. Mm. Uh, I would imagine that that would be the case. But I think, uh, you know, nobody, again, it was the classic case of there were some winners, but an awful lot of losers. And I think both Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar will probably have a sort of, a, a, you know, a very, keep a very watchful eye on the backbenches over the next while to see if the grumbling subsides or whether it sort of turns into something more dangerous for them both. Yeah, we'll have to have to keep a very close eye on that. Uh, Gronia, as a, a fan of Harry Potter, you can probably concur with the magic of Hogwarts being applied to the, <laughs> the transformation that we're witnessing. Uh, your initial observations from what you've read and heard this morning. Uh, it's interesting the talk about geography there. Um, I think the emphasis, you know, because there's this big debate about rural uh, Ireland and urban Ireland and how you marry the two. And it plays into that debate we're having about the climate change issue. How do you help both regions deal with a kind of climate crisis and adapt and change that doesn't disrupt an, an entire way of living? Um, but when you think about agriculture, it's a department on its own. You know, it's not been lumped in with rural affairs or heritage or sport or mm. uh, which other briefings have. Uh, although rural affairs it. is being rolled in with social protection, which is maybe a debatable point. We'll, we'll talk to Heather Humphreys about that later on.
Yeah, it, I, I mean, you can kind of argue, but there's definitely room in an agriculture brief, you would think, for some of those. But it, it has been given a kind of standalone department in itself, which I think says a lot about how, particularly because Fianna Fáil have that brief, how they want to emphasise and protect and stand for farmers in Ireland, which has always been a very um, important part of Irish life. I think the the big debate as well will be how you marry um fighting a kind of an economic challenge with environment and as Barry Cowan as a former kind of environment spokesperson will know that well and it'll be important in his department particularly when he has a super junior minister for agriculture who is a Green Party Mm. uh, member um, in that department with him so that'll be an interesting play as as time goes on Um, Fina, it's it's bizarre to think that you know Michal Martin and and the, the difficult election they had and the difficult history they had that they are now back in power again and, and Michal Martin is in charge. There is a significance to that, but the party still has a lot to find its, a lot of uh, ground to go before it finds its feet and figures out what it is actually offering to voters. There's a lot of uncertainty around that, I think, still. It had a brilliant local election result, but where is it going as a party? And Michal Martin's job, is own, his difficulty is only just beginning in protecting the kind of integrity of his party, forging a way forward. And I think some of these cabinet appointments are about that, about reinvigorating the party, about looking new and um, Mm. trying to offer something long term and substantial to voters and to the country. Uh, Just interesting when you note the the role of the Green Party in agriculture, of course, uh, Barry Cowan's super junior minister is Pippa Hackett, who's from the same constituency as him. And the lead opposition spokesperson is Brian Stanley, who is from exactly the same constituency. So all (laughs) politics certainly is is local. Uh, Grania, there is an awful lot written in today's papers about Micheál Martin, the man who almost wasn't king is the headline in one of them. Certainly, uh, you might say that it's a reward for someone who has been very patient in trying to rebuild his party from opposition for the last decade. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of interesting um, tidbits about Micheál Martin as a, as, a, as a man, as a politician and as Fianna Fáil leader. Uh, and I think it shouldn't be forgotten how he has rebuilt the party. There's a lot of talk about Eamon Ryan winning the, you know, the biggest um, amount, the largest amount of seats for the Green Party mm. uh, after the last election. But Micheál, I mean, you could argue that was on the back of a global green wave and um, that, that everybody was more um, conscious of that issue, whereas Fianna Fáil had a much harder job and Micheál Martin had a, a string of difficult decisions to make about where he was going to lead his party. And that, as I was kind of making the point earlier, that is absolutely not over yet. Um, he, you know, he made a decision to extend the confidence and supply agreement uh, because of Brexit, uh, which was seen as kind of controversial, though in hindsight now that they're going into coalition with the party, it might seem a little mm. uh, less odd. More controversial uh, because it was a solo run, because it wasn't seen as having been run by his parliamentary party first. Absolutely, yeah, and and then he would have his him and his supporters would argue that it was a time of crisis, I suppose, and uh, not forever anyway. But it it was kind of interesting that there isn't that consensus in Fianna Fáil as well, in the sense that the party is split about where it should go, how it should. Um, uh, attract voters, how it should forge its own identity separate to Fine Gael, mm. um, because there's a lot of, you know, conservative um, issues that, whereas Ireland becomes more liberal, Fianna Fáil is kind of struggling to decide what, what it actually uh, is offering and believes for its voters and that was the same with when Micheál Martin um, stood up in the Dáil and made that very uh, significant speech about the eighth, uh, the repeal and the Eighth Amendment mm. ahead of the Eighth Amendment referendum. Um, 
it's going to be interesting how he makes decisions like that in the future as as Taoiseach in a time of crisis. And it's fascinating to see how he might become more combative. Um, you know, will he become a bit more uh, energised uh, in, in addressing the doll, particularly when we're going into an economic crisis? I think it's really interesting as well. As a former Minister for Health, he's very health conscious and he becomes Taoiseach in the middle of a pandemic. It would be brilliant if we'd saw some sort of emphasis on health, because I do think that is being left a little by the wayside, considering the situation we're in and how health has constantly been a crisis. The appointment of Stephen by uh, Stephen Donnelly or to, uh, given to Stephen Donnelly as mm. health minister is also really interesting. He has been gunning for that job for so long. And, you know, despite all the criticisms of him for um, abandoning the party upon that he co-founded with Roisin Shorthall and Catherine Murphy, uh, it's kind of paid off for him in the sense that he has the job that he's always wanted. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the two of them together figure out what is needed by the healthcare service yeah. and what works in that department. It was very interesting to hear Roisin Shortall on News Talk Breakfast with Shane Beattie this morning talking about all of the di- the problems that Stephen Donnelly has diagnosed with the health service before and whether he'll be able to do anything about it. Certainly there's a, a little bit of previous between uh, those two health spokespersons at the very least anyway. Uh, Lise, your, your reflections on Micheál Martin and, and the very long road that he has taken to get uh, Fianna Fáil back where they are. Oh, absolutely. I recall with great vivid, uh, very vividly attending the Fianna Fáil, uh, party thinking back in 2011, in sort of September 2011, just after, obviously, it was their first big gathering, public gathering, um, to sort of go over, rake over mm. the ashes of the massacre. That was the one the with election. the really tiny venue, was it? Oh, Gavin, it was a tiny venue. It was they all the, the the remnants of the of the of the party. I mean, they had dropped fifty seven seats. Let's remember, walked into a hotel. It was a hotel out in Tallaght, and um, the mood was just one of utter dejection, of shell shock. I remember talking to some of the TDs back then, and they were genuinely expressing quiet doubts that they'd, they'd survive another election. So when you take that and the demoralisation and what where the party was then and how. He literally just hit the sort of hit the road and ate the chicken and chips and went around the country and talked to everybody and you know replaced party structures um, and rebuilt the party to a very good showing in 2016. Okay, the last election for various reasons, of course, they lost seats. Some some of that had to do with the conference supply arrangement. Some had some of that had to do with just the the electorate's appetite for change. Mm. But it is an absolutely and utterly remarkable comeback. It really is, and it is going to be very interesting to see how he does. I mean, it's it's you need a heart of stone and not to feel for him. Yesterday, uh, you, we heard the waver in his voice there when he was talking about his family and so on, and it was tough on him not having his family there. It really was. But I I wonder in a way the fact that. He is due to hand back uh, the reins of power to Leo Varadkar in December 2022. Will he actually find that liberating? Because he he doesn't have the luxury of, or not necessarily the luxury, but he doesn't have the that sort of mindset going, oh, well, I want to get re-elected. What do I do? Um, well, unless, actually, of course, he does want to get re-elected. You never know. Well, yeah, well, well, absolutely. Well, his party, yeah. But yeah, I, I have a funny feeling it might just kind of spur him on a bit to sort of really make his mark in the next two and a half years. Uh, maybe just for fear we end up in a Granita style situation if you remember between uh, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair where they carved up yeah. the future of leadership. But I'm sure Leo would, would, would be an honourable man. But, um, you know, it's so it's 
I, it'll be interesting. I think, we, you know, we will see a very energized uh, Michal Martin, uh, you know, his normal kind of placid way of doing things. I, I think he'll come out of the traps uh, like a hare tomorrow and we'll see an awful lot of an awful lot of uh, kind of action sure. over the, over the first while. Can, can I bring you just backwards a few minutes there, Lisa, something you remarked yeah. that obviously he did the whole chicken and chip circuit and he's really kind of rebuilt the party and, and in fairness mm-hmm. to him, he inherited a party that was really in the doldrums and now they're not what they were in the last term but they find themselves in power which they see as their natural home. Is there a danger that he has done all of that in his own image and really hasn't necessarily brought everyone else with him? Because Gorney mentioned you know, the, the speech that he gave about the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. He was very much within the minority in his own party on that and everyone was a little bit taken aback not only at the timing but also the substance of what he had said and maybe although he has managed to rebuild Fianna Fáil into something credible it doesn't always necessarily follow the values that he would like it to have. Well, I mean, absolutely, and I, I, I think that speech was, uh, was quite remarkable because it showed. I think it did two things. A, it did show there was a deep divide. Obviously, within his party, there is the more traditional Fianna Fáil. There's the conservative members of his party who, I mean, more than half the parliamentary party actually voted um, not to hold a referendum on the eighth, if, mm. if memory serves me. But I think it also paved the way. Um, to coming to a greater understanding with 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 the more liberal say uh, members of of Fine Gael. Um, so I think in a way that maybe in the back of his head he understood the real politic of voting patterns in the future and decided that he would take this path towards a more socially liberal agenda even at the cost of perhaps alienating some of his own party massively risky strategy and um we will have to wait and see just how much discontent there is, you know, like as, as sort of the next few months unfold. Mm. But I, I, you know, I, I think that perhaps, you know, he chose this route. Now I'm, I'm, this is me looking into the entrails really. I really, you know, that, but that you know, he decided that the way forward for the party was this way and not maybe to say, take the more conservative views of Eamon O'Keeve and, and on view on board and kind of stick to the old traditional roots of the party. Mm. Um, going back to the point that you made there as well about uh, you know the, the liberal values that, that Michal Martin has wanted the party to take, um, is there a danger or, or what do you think Fianna Fáil will do in the next two and a half years to make its own imprint clear on the government without sort of becoming too diluted into this sort of turquoise amorphous blob with, with Fine Gael? How exactly are, are Fianna Fáil going to remain an independent you know entity with its own independent you know brand and styling and everything else when everything it does is also going to be tagged as something that Fine Gael has done in government too. Yeah, and this is the big problem, the big question the party faces, um, particularly, you know, it, it looked like it was on and up the party after the local elections and it won the most council seats, 270-something seats. Um, and that is obviously the base upon which you build for a general election, but it just didn't get there uh, quite as high. And, and, and Barry Cowan mentioned this on the on the phone earlier that it didn't get as many seats as it had hoped to um so how do you fix that and particularly when you're in government with your old nemesis um the i think fina gael will be seen as quite um socially liberal and economically conservative the debate you know i've been having with a couple of people have been uh should you flip that for fina fall then that they do the the opposite to to stay separate Mm. so that you become economically um, liberal and, and socially conservative, and that would reflect a, a chunk of the party as well. But I think that the problem is that um, Ireland is also changing as well. So how does Fianna Fáil catch up with that? Um, mm. maybe not to say that they're behind, but how does it mar- 
mirror the, 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 the views of its supporters, particularly young supporters. I think it really needs to say something and do something for young people because I don't see anything, you know, even on the rent supplement issue where they said we can't do that, that is unconstitutional. And basically it has to be challenged in the court to prove that absolutely that a rent freeze for any kind of um, three a, a three year rent freeze would be unconstitutional, and it kind of changed its the party changed its mind ahead of the election. Mm. It needs to be a bit more inventive about policies like that to capture and win the trust of people. Because right now, dismissing ideas like that is uncreative, and it doesn't bode well for the future. And like Irish politics needs a bit more of that in general, where you're coming up with new ideas to change things for the better. And instead of defending, well, this is the reason why we haven't done it before. It's difficult. It's mm, complicated. Mm. Um, and I think that's kind of refreshing about the Greens, where they, the Green Party seems to be a little more proactive about disrupting a system that has been in place for, for generations in order to improve the country as a whole. So let, let's kind of hope perhaps being in government will kind of give them a, a, all three parties a boost in that respect of coming up with new new policy ideas but um i mean that the 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 issue for for Fianna Fáil is that you know it's kind of trying to stay loyal to its roots loyal to its history which is such a big part uh, of its of its story while also offering something new to young voters because mm-hmm. i i as a young as as young, a young person what is the party offering you uh, that no other party is. Yeah, and of course, there has to be said as well that it was uh, the Ogrefine Fall, the youth wing of the party, also opposed uh, the programme for government, as indeed did the youth wings of, of Fine Gael and the Green Party. Cormac has a little bit of a, a bone to pick with me. He's quoting me saying, Michal Martin has done a remarkable job building Fianna Fall, but he says Fianna Fall had 78 seats when Martin took over the party, and now they have 37. That's downsizing, not rebuilding. Uh, a fair point, Cormac, but Michal Martin took over as leader of Fianna Fall literally a month before the general election in 2011, so I think you can't really blame him for going from 78 seats to 20. I think if anything you might even say that he saved some of those seats. Um, Keith Darcy on the topic of geography says that this cabinet is only the team for the first half. There will be subs at half time and I'm sure the West will get a couple of seats at the table because that will be a pre-election cabinet. Uh, still joined by Lee Hand and Groin in the A to pick over the bones of yesterday's cabinet. Um, Shane Hegarty tweeted yesterday, Groin, I want to put this to you saying congratulations to Catherine Martin on becoming the Minister for Media, Arts, Culture, Tourism, Sport, Tourism, Spice Bags, Bedroom DJing, Memes, Ice Cream Vans, Primary School Tim Whistle Classes, Overly Patterned Hotel Carpets, Zoom Zumba Table Quizzes and Getting the Coffees. And I suppose the real gag there is that he left out Gaeltacht, which is one of Catherine Martin's uh, many, many briefs. Uh, Mark Gore, are you at all concerned that Gaeltacht Affairs could become a little bit of an afterthought when Catherine Martin has so many other things on her plate? This is almost a running theme every time a cabinet is uh, is um, assembled. And at the last one, I think there was a bit of a, a dis, uh, unhappiness because Josepha Madigan was given the, the brief of Minister for Culture and Heritage and the Gaeltacht was left out of the title, but it was assumed under that brief. And they kind of added the two on afterwards, mm. from, from what I remember, uh, because it is important to have those kind of issues represented um, visually. Uh, as well as, you know, in in substance. Uh, And I think the problem as well with these issues is, um, you know, finance is very important and and, uh, social protection and health are very very important at the moment as well. So those kind of issues of the arts and sport and and Gaeltachti and, you know, the islands are are Mm. sometimes left at the end of the list. 
um, and, and those that kind of rely on these or live in these areas or rely on these industries for their livelihood and have have always in their lives feel left behind because of that. Uh, I think it's going to be very a very difficult ministry um, for Catherine Martin because there's so much to it. The arts, you know, is having a very tough time at the moment. And um, the Gaeltacht regions are are kind of trying to become more sustainable every uh, at every cabinet and every year they want some sort of imagination. They'd actually called for a senior ministry in itself um, ahead of the cabinet mm. uh, appointments. So it's it's going to be very difficult to cater to all of those areas and feel that they're represented and looked after when there's so many various aspects to her ministry. I'd love to see the debate about why that um, uh, department was assembled sure. the way it was. Uh, Lise, that's um, a, it's an awful lot for, for Catherine Martin to take on if she's going to be Green Party leader as well. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. I mean, the, it's a bonkers uh, brief, to be absolutely honest with you. Uh, there's so much in there. I mean, let's let's just take, I mean, they've also thrown media in there and there was a, there was a lot of chat about um, media having, you know, getting some kind of uh, sort of separate uh, representation mm. of its own. But I mean, okay, like media is something that I actually know about, right? Having slaved at the coalface for uh, more years than I care to mention. So, you know, if you even just take that, you know, which would be a smaller aspect of a brief, like what does that, what will that entail? I mean, that, you know, does it mean looking at sort of the whole problematic relationship with the funding of RTE? Does it mean uh, ring fencing, uh, sort of financial supports for the media, which is in a terrible state at the moment. Does it mean promoting, making sure that uh, gender diverse, you know, gender diversity, and uh, is actually maintained in media? Because mm. you know, as it stands, there's at the moment there's no female editor for print uh, newspaper, uh, national newspaper in Ireland. Does it also mean tackling the extremely problematic area of fake news, and you know how you tackle that? Like that—that's only you know that's media. That's it's only one, one slender I mean, bit of her, her six slim. briefs, yeah. Uh, you know, so if you actually look at, at that in the, in the bigger picture, and then she might end up actually fighting, uh, with, you know, a, a leadership contest, which I think is leaving most people sort of scratching their heads at the moment, because I think at this stage. I think most people would like Eamon Ryan and Catherine uh, Martin to be reading into their into their briefs now and also to be sort of trying to heal the divisions, the bitter divisions in the party over uh, whether or not to, end, to uh, support the programme for government. And, that, you know, instead, there's going to be a leadership contest, which may or may not turn out to be uh, bitter and divisive. We don't know whether it will now or not. Um, I think Eamon Martin, or Eamon Martin, see, there you go. Uh, <laughs> the Archbishop Eamon, Eamon Martin probably has an awful lot to say about all this as well, <laughs> in fairness to him. <laughs> he probably would. But, uh, you know, Eamon Ryan has, is probably perceived to have, you know, steered a, a very steady course over the last while. But um, so, I mean, Catherine, you know, Catherine Martin has an enormous task. I mean, a, a, a very able uh politician altogether and um, I know has a genuine interest in arts and culture but my god the size of that and also to to possibly end up steering uh, as the, you know the party as leader through an incredibly tricky um, mm. government arrangement it's 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 a very tall order uh, we mean, could talk, not, yeah we, we could talk more about gender and geography but I just want to leave it on, uh, leave that topic on this note someone's just sent me a story from the Western People newspaper that's the, one of the local papers in Mayo today um, they have a story uh, about the absence of there being a cabinet minister from, for uh, Mayo uh, it has a picture of Michael Ring and a picture of Dara Kaliri and it says a cabinet fit for Cromwell 
Yesterday in the National Convention Centre in Dublin, the triumvirate of Michal Martin, Leo Varadkar, Eamon Ryan unveiled a cabinet that Oliver Cromwell would have been proud to call his own. Not sure what Oliver Cromwell might have to think about uh, gender bias in the media and, and everything else as well. But we're going to have to to let that one sit for just a moment because there's one other topic that I want to talk about uh, before we let you go, and that is uh, COVID nineteen, particularly the the new surge of cases among people of younger generations growing. And this is something that uh, Tony Houlihan is particularly concerned about in some of today's papers. Yeah, um, it's an ongoing issue. Uh, kind of from the start, there's been concern about the younger, how the young younger generations are t- heeding advice or, or not heeding advice, particularly in relation to um, house parties. I, I'm kind of conflicted about this. At the start, I didn't think it was helpful to uh, single out a partic- particular cohort and say you're not doing enough when it's a challenging time and it's a very difficult, particularly for teenagers, to contextualise what is happening. Mm. Um, At this point, because it's been going on for so long, I suppose fatigue is setting in, um, but everybody knows the rules at this stage. Uh, I think the problem is, you know, particularly when people are drinking, because a lot of this talk has been about, you know, house parties, you know, drinking out in parks Mm, outside. It's not possible to socially distance once you have a certain amount of alcohol in your system. I think Tony Holland himself called um, drinking a social distance inhibitor. It's just yeah, natural. Yeah. Like even without a, a pandemic going on, you kind of get a bit closer to people than you intent, would intend or would, would do uh, while sober. And that is the big challenge for people. That's our way of socialising. That's our way of interacting. And we're doing it kind of um, in other ways because we can't do it in pubs. But that is kind of the big difficulty, how you socialize without drink, because that is a social or that is a social Mm. distance inhibitor. That is a difficult message to get across across to people when they miss people, when this has been going on for so long and when socializing and talking to people is so important. Um, Lees, very, very briefly, because we're running very short on time. uh, If so many of the new cases are now among uh, people in their late teens or early 20s, maybe there's a case for bringing the schools back and leaving the colleges shut next September. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, though I, it would be a brave, it would be a brave uh, person that would suggest that. I, I, I suspect uh, to many parents who are worried about uh, teenagers hanging around the house. Um, yeah. Look, you know, again, it's it, it just shows the the imponderables that are facing new governments. They have to deal with things like air bridges, travel, people mm. coming from holidays, track and trace. There's so many. I mean, the whole thing is just, it's it's a moving story. And that's, I think, why this cabinet has to hit the ground running and really kind of get get on top of how to actually tackle the possibility of a second wave. Could could be a very interesting question for the new Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris. Should they just leave the colleges closed? Make for an interesting, quiet uh, betting in period for him. I'm afraid (laughs) we're out of time. Guys, thank you so much this morning. Uh, Lee's hand, political journalist, and growing in the A with the journal.ie.